All right, welcome. I'm Ned. I'm Allie. And today we're going to be talking about hernias. So hernias are protrusion of an organ through a body wall that normally contains it. Uh, there's several different types of hernias. There are inguinal hernias, femoral hernias, abdominal wall hernias, uh, and this has several different types like umbilical, epigastric, or incisional. And we'll talk about those a little later. Um, Allie, can you tell me uh, a little bit about uh, hernias? Yeah, so hernias are going to be some of the most common visits that you see in ambulatory clinics. Um, so 27 to 43% of adult males will experience an inguinal hernia in their lifetime. Inguinal are gonna, going to be more common in males than you'll see in females. In female population, you'll tend to see the femoral hernia to be more common. This is because in females, there's a greater distance from the pubic tubercle to the internal ring of the inguinal canal, and this is more likely to strangulate here and become emergent. Yep. So uh, when we classify hernias, we can classify them as congenital or acquired. So congenital hernias are due to the failure of the processus vaginalis to close. And what that is is an invagination of the parietal peritoneum uh, preceding the descent of the testes. So in the development of males, there's something called a gubernaculum. And what this is is a band of fibrous tissue that migrates through the internal ring and then out of the external ring when we're talking about the inguinal canal and then obliterates except for the lower portion. And that becomes the scrotal ligament to anchor the testes down. The internal ring is supposed to close afterwards, but if it does not, it creates a congenital defect for which a hernia can travel. And this will make a little bit more sense early, uh, later on, but if that doesn't close up, then it just creates a passage for which a hernia can occur. So, uh, Allie, can you tell me how that differs in females a little bit? Yeah, in females, we don't necessarily have this issue because the migration of the gubernaculum is not taking place. So the gubernaculum migrating is specifically for those testes to get to where they need to be. So in women, the gubernaculum is actually going to become the round ligament of the uterus, as well as the ovarian ligament, which is going to connect the ovary to the uterus. So those are the remnants of the gubernaculum in females. And then we talked about acquired as well, and this is usually just from abdominal wall weakening. Before we get into indications for when surgical repair of hernias is going to be necessary, there's some terminology we want to make sure we go over so that everybody's familiar with it. So the following terms are going to be extremely relevant when you're describing hernias, either presenting a physical exam to a resident or attending, or writing a note. So essentially when you're presenting or writing your notes and you think a patient has a hernia, there's certain words and terminology that you're going to make sure you either include as a pertinent positive or say that the patients don't have, so a pertinent negative. So Ned, can you walk us through these terms that need to be included whenever you're describing a hernia? Yeah, of course. So the first one that we want you to be aware of is uh, whether the hernia is reducible or not. And what that means is uh, can the hernia be pushed back into place, uh, whether on itself or whether it does it on its own. Uh, so reducible is the first one. And then uh, is the hernia incarcerated? Uh, if hernias cannot be reduced back into its original place, it's uh, described as incarcerated. This isn't necessarily an emergency, um, and we'll talk about that later on. Uh, so incarceration is the second one. And then strangulation. So if a hernia is uh, strangulated, then the arterial flow to the contents within the hernia has been compromised, and that results in ischemia and necrosis. It's going to cause the patient a lot of pain, and this is a medical emergency that needs to be fixed quickly. 
Another thing, too, I would say just in terms of contents of what is actually coming out in the hernia. So on imaging, you will be able to determine as you train your eyes a bit, whether it's Mm -hmm. bowel that's coming out through the hernia or whether it's fat, which can also protrude out. So just making that distinction, you can do that on imaging. Yep, of course. And then also a uh, quick tidbit here, the narrower the neck of the hernia or the smaller the hole that the hernia is going through, then the higher chance the hernia has of becoming incarcerated or strangulated. These terms are very important to be familiar with because this is going to dictate the management that occurs after. So once a hernia has been created, the definitive treatment is going to be surgical repair. So with those terms, hernias can be either complicated or uncomplicated. So a complicated hernia is going to be, like Ned was saying, when you have strangulation, so the arterial supply is being cut off, or bowel obstruction, and this is going to be emergent. So you always want to differentiate between an emergency versus something that's urgent. Mm -hmm. So an incarceration, which we were talking about, where yes, the hernia is stuck and you can't put it back in, but the blood Mm -hmm. supply is still there, that's urgent. So a little less, I guess, like critical to fix it at that time that you would want with a strangulation. So then Ned, what is an uncomplicated hernia? Yep. So uncomplicated hernias can be elective or you can take a watch and wait approach with those. Uh, So if there's uh, no symptoms, then uh, you can wait to have surgery. If the symptoms of it are severe though, then uh, you might as well get it taken care of and uh, surgery is indicated. If it's bothering someone enough that, uh, you know, it's affecting their everyday lifestyle or what they do, then you might as well just do the surgery. There shouldn't really be a watch and wait. And then uh, a quick side note too, femoral hernias are always recommended to be repaired. And this is just due to that higher chance of uh, becoming incarcerated or strangulated, which Allie mentioned earlier. Uh, And then to, uh, before we get into uh, some of the anatomy here, the most hernias are going to require surgical repair at some point. They don't ever get better. They just continue to get worse. Um, So just to keep in mind that if you to have a patient with a hernia, they'll likely have to get it repaired at some point in their lifetime. Um, Go ahead. No, I just was going to transition us from there talking about the surgical repairs to just be aware that we're not going to go into really all of the operative techniques, but just knowing that there's different ways that you can go about them. They can be repaired openly, laparoscopic approach, so a transabdominal preperitoneal repair or a TAPP, a total extraperitoneal repair, a TEP, or with a robot. So there's yep. a lot of different ways that you can go about it. Yeah, they call those ta- taps or taps. Um, taps uh, are, are pretty cool. Uh, I've seen a few of them, but uh, go ahead and look it up if you're interested in it. We won't get into what it actually uh, entails right here. So from someone who's not going into general surgery, I do really appreciate hernias because they have a lot of great anatomical relationships that become so important in terms of how we classify them and just essentially what's going on. So to start with our chat about anatomy involving hernias, we're going to start with something called Hasselbeck's triangle. So this is very useful to know, and to start, we're going to describe the borders. So the medial border is going to be the rectus abdominis. The lateral border is going to be the inferior epigastric artery, which remember is coming off of the external iliac artery. And the inferior border is going to be the inguinal ligament. So direct and indirect hernias can be remembered by a mnemonic, which we say MDs don't lie. So this stands for MDs medial to the inferior epigastric artery will be a direct hernia and then lie lateral to the inferior epigastric artery will be your indirect hernias. 
So that means direct inguinal hernias are going to be within those borders of Hasselbeck's triangle that we just described, and this tends to be due to a weakness of the floor of the inguinal canal, so these tend to be acquired. And then we have indirect hernias, remember lateral to the inferior epigastric artery, and these tend to be those congenital ones, which is due to the failure of the processes vaginalis to close properly. And then, Ned, what do we call the hernia where you have both a direct and an indirect hernia sac? Yeah, it's a uh, pantaloon hernia. So if you can imagine the legs of a pants kind of coming down like that, that's what they call a uh, pantaloon hernia. And Allie mentioned that, uh, you know, directs are likely acquired and indirects are uh, likely congenital. Not always the case, just uh, um, something to be aware of, um, you know, can happen either way. So let's talk about the anatomy of an open repair. The point of an open repair is to expose the inguinal canal and its contents to inspect for direct and indirect hernias. The inguinal canal has a deep ring that's usually about the halfway point of the inguinal ligament. And that inguinal ligament uh, stretches uh, from the aces, so the anterior superior uh, iliac spine, to the pubic tubercle, so halfway in between those. And then the superficial ring is usually just superior to the pubic tubercle to form the canal and its borders. So we've been talking a lot about the inguinal canal and its borders, so let's go ahead and break down to its simplest anatomy. What is the inguinal canal? So the anterior border is going to be the aponeurosis of the external oblique muscle. Posteriorly is going to be your transversalis fascia. The floor is going to be the inguinal ligament, which Ned was just describing for us. So it's composed of the thickened external aponeurosis that, again, is stretching from the anterior superior iliac spine to the pubic tubercle. And then the roof of the inguinal canal is going to be your transversalis and internal oblique muscles. Is it the aponeurosis or the muscles? I'm fact-checking myself on this one. Well, the aponeurosis. Okay, the aponeurosis of those Mm -hmm. muscles. So now those are the borders. So Ned, what are the contents of the canal? So the contents of the inguinal canal, uh, first you have the spermatic cord, and then outside of the cord you have the ilioinguinal nerve. And this is a branch of the lumbar plexus. It runs outside of the cord and exits through the superficial ring. So it does not enter from that deep ring we were talking about, but it does exit through the superficial ring. Um, And this is extremely important to be aware of uh, this nerve during the surgery. You want to identify it during it in order to prevent its transection. Uh, Because what that would cause is some numbness in the inner thigh uh, or the lateral scrotum. And it's pretty preventable if you just find it and make sure you mark it and know where it's at. I will also say, though, that you might see some variation in how surgeons manage this nerve. Uh, Like I talked about it, you don't want to transect it. A lot of them will spare it, but others will just cut it or transect it. And that's because uh, they can have very significant chronic pain if the nerve becomes impinged after the repair. I think this is a great point too. Whenever there's a nerve that's involved in a surgery, it's obviously something you're looking to avoid, right? Mm -hmm. In all of our surgeries, because we're not doing anything with nerves. So the best thing you want to know going into a procedure is what is the function of that nerve? Mm -hmm. Because that's always a fair game to be asked. If we did hurt this nerve, what would we be worried about for the patient? So just keep that in the back of your mind. But then now moving, so we talked about the spermatic cord again. So what are the contents of the spermatic cord? So the contents of the spermatic cord include the vas deferens. Uh, this is a uh, tube that essentially uh, transports sperm from the testes um, upward. And then you have the testicular artery. That's a branch uh, directly off the aorta. You also have the artery, the vas deferens, and the cremasteric artery as well. But the one to be aware of is the testicular artery. You have the pampiniform plexus. This is a venous plexus that drains into the testicular vein 
on the right side, this will drain into the IVC or the inferior vena cava directly. And then while um, on the left side, it will drain directly into the left renal vein. And then you have the genital branch of the genitofemoral nerve. And this is another branch of the lumbar plexus. It supplies the cremaster muscles as well as anterior scrotum in males and mons pubis uh, labia majora in females. Um, it also has some fibers of uh, sympathetic and parasympathetic vessels in there. Um, so I mentioned the cremasteric muscle a few times in there as well. Um, Ali, what's uh, like something you can do if someone has testicular torsion uh, and how do those muscles uh, relate to that? Yeah, so if someone has testicular torsion, this is bringing me back, but I want to remember that there's a, the bus that there's a reflex that we're worried about, the cremasteric reflex. So I think if you stimulate sensation on that side, you should see the testes elevate if that muscle is working correctly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then... Uh, just to finish off here, talking about the open stuff, the inguinal hernias are rare in females. Um, uh, can you tell us what the inguinal canal then has in females? Yes. If uh, you did need to do a repair? So the inguinal canal is going to have the round ligament in females, as well as the ilioinguinal nerve and the genital branch of the genitofemoral nerve. So obviously in females, no spermatic cord. Exactly. Now we're going to touch on some anatomy principles that will come up during laparoscopic repairs of hernias. So I will say before we start talking about laparoscopic repairs is don't be afraid in the OR to orient yourself. And what I mean by that is it's very difficult at times, no matter how great you are with anatomy, to go from applying it to looking at the body itself to then looking at a screen. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of times where I would ask the surgeon or a resident to just take a second and orient me to the structures they were working on. So Ned, what are the five structures that the parietal peritoneum covers that can help you kind of orient as landmarks? Sure. So if you're looking up uh, at the underside of the abdominal wall, then you're going to see, uh, you know, in the we're going to go medial to lateral. So there's a median umbilical ligament, which stretches from the bladder to the umbilicus. And then to the side of that, each side of that, there's going to be the medial umbilical ligament. So there's two of them which are obliterated former umbilical arteries. And then even lateral to those, there's two of them again. Um, you're gonna have the lateral umbilical ligaments and these house the inferior epigastric uh, vessels. So then, so if that's what houses the inferior epigastric vessels, what then could help you identify a direct versus an indirect hernia? Can you describe that a bit? Sure, so the relation of this uh, lateral umbilical ligament uh, to where the hernia is. So if it's uh, medial to that ligament, then you're gonna have a direct hernia from that MDs, don't lie, mnemonic. And then if it's lateral to that ligament, then it's gonna be an indirect hernia. Awesome. So now we're going to talk about two triangles that come up very frequently in these procedures. I was asked this on my surgery rotation. Mm -hmm. And you, I hadn't heard of it until the rotation itself. So before we get talking about these, we will say you are going to want to look at a picture with these. We're going to talk about the borders and what goes on with the triangles, but definitely take the time to look at a picture. So Ned, what is the first triangle that we want listeners to be aware of? Yep. So the tri these are both triangles you want to avoid, by the way, uh, during the surgery. That, but, is a, uh, that is a good point. Yeah. <laughs> so the first one is the triangle of pain. So if you don't get that, you want to avoid that from the name, then, uh, you know, um, we can't help you much yeah. after that. <laughs> uh, but as far as uh, the medial aspect of that triangle is going to be the spermatic cord, 
the superior aspect of that triangle is going to be the iliopubic tract. This is a thickened portion of the transversus abdominis that runs deep and parallel with the inguinal ligament. All right, And then lateral part of that triangle is going to be the iliac crest. And this is a nerve-dense area uh, containing the femoral, lateral femoral cutaneous, anterior femoral cutaneous, and femoral branch of the genitofemoral uh, nerves. So it's extremely nerve-dense area. And uh, if you were to damage this, it could cause chronic neuralgia, paresthesia, things like that. Uh, so something to be aware of. Just uh, remember, nerve-dense area, triangle of pain. So then the second triangle is going to be what we call the triangle of doom. So the borders here, medially, you have the vas deferens. Laterally, you have your gonadal vessels. So those are your testicular arteries and veins. And then posteriorly, you have your peritoneal edge. So whereas the triangle of pain, if you can imagine, is nerve dense, the triangle of doom is going to be a vessel dense area. So in the triangle of doom, you will have the external iliac vein, the deep circumflex iliac vein, as well as the external iliac artery. So again, difficult. We're giving you the borders so you're aware of them, but please take the time to look at a picture. It'll help orienting yourself make so much more sense. Next, we're going to talk about femoral hernias. So we mentioned it earlier, femoral hernias are more likely in females, um, and they're also more likely to be emergent or have some sort of strangulation when they do occur. Um, so these occur inferior to the inguinal ligament and protrude through the femoral ring. Uh, the borders of, and then they, the hernia ha pops into the femoral triangle. So the borders of the femoral triangle, superiorly you have the inguinal ligament, laterally you have the sartorius muscle, and then medially you have the adductor longus. And Ali, can you tell us what the contents of the femoral triangle is and maybe where that hernia would occur? Yes, so the contents of the femoral triangle can be remembered with navel mnemonic, so N-A-V-E-L. So starting from laterally and moving medially, that's how we use the mnemonic. So the N is for the femoral nerve, which again is another branch off of the lumbar plexus, which mm -hmm. is a lot of the nerves that we were talking about today. The femoral artery, so femoral artery is a continuation of the external iliac artery, so once it crosses underneath the inguinal ligament to get into the femoral triangle. It's now the femoral artery. Um, similar story for the femoral vein, which makes up the V in the mnemonic. So that brings blood upwards into the external iliac vein. And then the E in the mnemonic is the empty space. So this is actually where the femoral hernia is going to go because it's gonna go in the empty space, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then the L, it stands for lymphatics. So this was a question that I was asked by a general surgeon and I did not know the answer. So naturally I Googled it and looked it up a lot more than I probably <laughs> needed to. So it was, what is the highest node in the femoral canal or area? So it's highest meaning it's sitting kind of, I think just inferior to the um, inguinal ligament. Mm -hmm. So it's the node of cloquet. So it's named after a French surgeon fun fact but cloquet is c-l-o-q-u-e-t just to make sure i'm pronouncing it correctly we had um, to look up uh, how that's pronounced too yes so just keep that in mind note of cloquet that probably won't get asked but it was just something that that stuck out to me uh really quickly also uh the navel mnemonic really good uh for when you need to put in like a central line too, like a, a femoral central line um if you can feel the pulse of the uh, femoral artery in that triangle, you know that you need to go medial to that in order to get into the vein. So that just kind of popped in my head. I figured that uh, that might come up on some rotations as well. 
I'm going to very quickly go over abdominal wall hernias, these ventral wall hernias. Um, so the abdominal musculature is made up of the rectus abdominis. Those are six-pack muscles. Uh, those fuse at the center, and that center is called the linea alba. The rectus is then connected to the three lateral flat muscles that we talked about uh, in the C-section, uh, the external oblique, internal, and the transversalis uh, abdominis, or transversus abdominis. Um, and where the rectus and those meet, that's the linea semilunaris. Um, so that'll come in handy in a second here. But so epigastric hernias, this uh, is a defect in the linea alba, that center line uh, between the xiphoid and the umbilicus. That will be the epigastric hernia. Umbilical hernias, you guessed it, happens uh, at the umbilicus. This is like 23 to 50% of people have these. Uh, it's usually asymptomatic and you uh, don't have to repair them. Uh, if you don't, if the person doesn't want to, usually um, incisional can happen anywhere. Prior surgery was done. Peristomal hernias uh, frequently occur uh, when you have a, a stoma placement. It's a high chance that you'll get a peristomal hernia, just so you know. And then Spigelian hernia had no idea what this was when I was first asked about it. This occurs uh, at the junction of the transversus abdominis and the rectus, at, so at that semilunaris line. And then a uh, Richter's hernia. You might hear that. That's uh, where only one side wall of the bowel is strangulated. So maybe like half of the bowel wall is uh, strangulated. Now to finish off with surgical snippets. So Ned, what constitutes Hasselbach's triangle? So medially you have your rectus muscle. Laterally you have the inferior epigastric artery. And inferiorly you have the inguinal ligament. How do we differentiate between direct and indirect hernias? Yep, so that mnemonic MDs don't lie. So medial to the inferior epigastric is a direct, lateral to the inferior epigastric is an indirect. So since inferior epigastric is so important, which ligament contains these vessels that helps us? Yep, the lateral umbilical ligament. What are the contents of the inguinal canal? You have the ilioinguinal nerve, which you want to make sure you identify uh, during the open procedure, and then sp the spermatic cord. And then what are the contents of the spermatic cord? You have the vas deferens, testicular artery, pampiniform plexus, and the genitofemoral nerve. Thanks for listening.